Kristen, what were you doing between the years of 1978 and 1980? Oh, my gosh. 1978 and 80? What were you doing? What were you listening to? Oh, let's How were you see. dressed? I was probably listening to my mom say, get dressed. It's time to go to preschool. Um, Is that true? No. Come on. <laughs> I was, gosh. Oh, no, no, no. I, was, I think I was in kindergarten that year. Wow. Okay. Either kindergarten or preschool. Yeah, I, I was pretty young. You're so young. Uh, my mom used to watch The Young and the Restless. Oh, yeah. I, which I called sure. The Young and the Rest of Us because I didn't understand. But, <laughs> That's cute. And Search for Tomorrow. Those were her big shows that she would watch in general, uh, and General Hospital. What were you doing in 1979? Uh, 70, yeah, 79. 80. What was I doing? I was, um, well, I was, I was just, I was just starting to make contact with the rest of the world right around then. And I was becoming, this is what I really remember. I was just becoming a David Bowie fan right around that, right around that period. And oh. I, because I remember being very excited when Scary Monsters came out uh, because I'd, I'd already sort of sucked up the entire Bowie catalog and all of a sudden, and he seemed like he was some ancient figure out of mythology to me, but then all of a sudden there was this new Bowie album coming out. And so, and so that was sort of my introduction into the world of contemporary pop culture, albums that were coming out with bands that you could still go see and care about and that maybe you'd camp out overnight for tickets and that kind of thing. Because before that, it had been all, it had been all the Beatles, you know, wow, and stuff like on. that. Hold on. How old were you? 10-ish, 11-ish, oh, somewhere in there. That's a fun so, age. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And I, so that was, that was kind of the beginning of, my, of my, my, pop culture, my pop culture awakening right around there. Oh, yeah. You and I had very different pop culture experiences in 1979. <laughs> we certainly did. <laughs> age makes a big difference. And of course, the reason that I even bring this up is because we're going to be talking about two movies, uh, which are set in the kind of 78 to 80 turn of the decade area. Uh, one is American Hustle. The other is Anchorman 2, uh, The Legend Continues. And, uh, and the other movie we're going to talk about is actually set in the future. No, no currently set movies, no present-day movies. Uh, the other one is Her, set in what uh, Spike Jones is calling the slight future. So before we get to that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Day. Okay, so let's let's do a little dance. American Hustle. Ooh, do the Kristen. hustle. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you keep expecting? <laughs> Didn't you keep expecting that song, the, the, the old Van McCoy song, yes, to keep I popping totally up? Did. Have you done the hustle at lots of weddings? I've never done what? the hustle. What? You've never done the I've hustle. Never at a done wedding? the hustle. My God, no. What? No. Do you know how to do the hustle? No. Dun, 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 do you know? Dun, dun. Do you know how to do it? Barely. Uh, my, a bunch of my relatives know how to do the hustle. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It was amazing. At my sister's wedding when she got married, suddenly the hustle came on. Everybody was doing the hustle. And no I was like, kidding. darn it. Why don't I know how to do the hustle? <laughs> wow. That's yeah. awesome. Well, it's great. Yeah. No, I don't know how to do the hustle. Um, and uh, although American Hustle uh, has almost every, every other every – other, song from that uh, that era in it besides that one. So this is the movie from uh, David O. Russell, who gave us The Fighter and Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, it's got Bradley Cooper as an FBI agent, Christian Bale as a con man, Amy Adams as his girlfriend, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence as his wife, the con man's wife. Uh, they all kind of come together in under a complicated set of circumstances modeled a little bit on the ab scam uh, operation from the late 70s where they were trying to target uh, congressmen and politicians 
Um, in this version, uh, uh, Kristen, Christian Bale, the con man Irving, uh, is nabbed by Bradley Cooper's character, and Bradley Cooper is going to force him to join their sting operation. Here's a clip. You're going to do this because you got no choice. You work for me. You keep changing the rules. You know, you're getting a little power drunk, Richard. You, know, you want to tell him anything? You want to wake him up? Oh, no. I said we shouldn't do any of it, Irving. You know I said that. So now I support Richie. He's got vision. Do it. Have you or don't do it. I mean, he's the one ruling America, not me. This cast is incredible. It is a great cast. I just love this cast. Everybody in it, from Jeremy Renner all the way down to Michael Pena, who plays a yes. Mexican-American <laughs> who's pretending to be an Arab. Everybody in this right. movie. Just fantastic. De Niro makes a brief appearance. Yeah, it's a, it's a great cast. Uh, Louis C.K. is in this film. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's the got cast, a... Like, and every once in a while, one just shows up on screen. You're like, oh, my God, I didn't know you were in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> right. I know. I know. Exactly. You too. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, so a great cast. What did you think of this? Were you familiar at all with the ABScam uh, operation? I'm sure that it was somewhere in the back of my consciousness. But then when Again, I was you were watching... five, so <laughs> at the time. But I will say that I I was thrown a little bit off at the very beginning. There's that sentence across the black screen. It says, uh, "Yes, some of this actually happened." Some of this actually <laughs> happened. So I thought, hold on, is this a true story? Is it making fun of itself? Is this? Did any of this actually happen? Um, maybe somebody did walk down the street one day and left nail polish in a car. I, right. I don't know. Like I, I have no idea of what's true and what's not while I was watching it. But I just thought it was a really great, fun romp, regardless of whether or not it was based on real events or not. I decided to just let that go when I was watching it. Okay. Just think, this is a fun heist, much yeah. like Argo last year. <laughs> yeah, like right. Kind of the same era, kind of the same costumes. Yeah. But I think that the character development is so much more above and beyond what we normally see in a heist movie. Yeah, each of these characters has has his or her own voiceover. Um, there's at least three, I mm-hmm. think. Um, the main three, uh, Bradley Cooper, Kristen Bale, Amy Adams. Um, yeah, I, I love the characters in this movie. I love especially the relationship between... Christian Bale, you know, the first thing you see of him is he's got this, you know, horrendous toupee that he's that he's gluing and pasting on his uh, on his head, and he's got this whole kind of sculpture routine going on. Mm-hmm. And when it's all done, it still looks pretty bad, but at least it's in place and it's on his head. Um, and uh, I love the relationship between him and Amy Adams. She really, she's so good. She really makes you convinced that she could fall in love with this kind of pot-bellied toupee con man from Long Island who would seem to have very little to offer, you know, but she's also like him, kind of an aspirational, you know, she's a lowborn kind of street kid type. And they both just kind of connect at this great party, at, you know, at his at his giant sprawling house. And it, it, it really works. You really feel their connection through the entire film, even as she kind of waffles a little bit toward Bradley Cooper. And even as he waffles back and forth with his wife. Yeah, exactly. Played by Jennifer Lawrence. Right. Um, I like this movie a lot, too. Uh, I think it's an old-fashioned Hollywood film told in a smart, modern way. I think you have... Right? You've got all the... You have all the things that people love about movies, which is a great cast, great energy, great music, great costumes, but it's not old-fashioned. It feels... It feels now. And I have a feeling if I had to... If I had to place a bet, I would say American Hustle will probably be best picture. I disagree. I think it will. I still think 12 years is going to win. You still think 12 years? I think 12 years is going to win, but it's going to be a tight race. I think American Hustle has all those qualities you're talking about. Plus, it just feels... So much like other great movies that we love. It feels yeah. so much like 
Goodfellas. It feels so very much like yeah. it's, it's very much like Goodfellas. Yeah, it, it, and you it, mentioned Argo. Ar- Argo is yeah. actually Argo is a great comparison. Yeah, and and so I think that's going to help it a lot too. Yeah, I think so too. I think you're right. But all that being said, whether it feels like something else or looks like something else, I think on its own merits, it's just a really great date. I really just enjoyed this movie so much. It's over two hours long. You really get to know all the characters. The heist gets very complicated, but in a good way. Yeah. I was never bored during this movie. I loved it. Yeah. Great, great date. Me too. I agree. A great, a great date. Um, so here's, here's a date movie. Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues. Now, this, this movie has been marketed beyond belief. I, I, I don't think I've seen a marketing campaign for this movie since like the Transformers. It's, it's, I mean, you know, Ben and Jerry's jockey underwear, uh, you know, the Dodge Durango. I mean, you know, there's, there, there schools of journalism have renamed themselves, you know, the Ron Burgundy school of communications. It's really been a massive, massive campaign. And so now Anchorman two is finally upon us. Kristen, tell us a little bit about what Ron Burgundy is up to now. Well, Ron Burgundy and his wife played by Christina Applegate have a son and they're co-anchoring yes. local news. They are approached by the national news. They're told, one of you is going to be the anchor. And do you know who's given that national anchor role? Not Ron Burgundy. Not Ron Burgundy. His wife. So Ron Burgundy says, it's either me or it's this anchor job. And then he walks out. Right. And he falls on hard times and he doesn't know what to do. And then he gets approached by GNN, Global News Network. The first 24-hour news network wants Ron Burgundy to do the 2 a.m. slot. He gathers the whole old gang back together again. Paul Rudd. Yeah, David Kirchner, uh, uh, Steve Carell, the yeah, whole gang. The whole gang's back together. They have a fat condo. They're going to really make it happen at the 2 a.m. slot. But at the 2 a.m. slot, how do you even get people to watch? How do you get your numbers up? Ron Burgundy, he knows the way to do it is something a little bit more sensational than regular news. Maybe some human interest stories. Maybe some investigations of the world's greatest vaginas over history. That's maybe. right. <laughs> That's right. Maybe some patriotic blather. Yes, a lot of patriotic blather. Cute puppies. Cute puppies, exactly. <laughs> Alarmist weather reports. All of the above. Let's hear a clip. Mr. Burgundy, we're starting a 24-hour news channel. First of its kind, GNN. <laughs> That is without a doubt the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You mean news going 24 hours around the clock? A channel that's never off, in other words. Yeah, yeah, just 24 (laughs) hours. So that's Dylan Baker uh, as uh, Freddie Schapp, the guy who approaches uh, Ron Burgundy with this ridiculous idea. Um, I do think it's funny that Ron Burgundy would would be heralded as a visionary of today's, you know, em- empty calorie 24-hour news cycle. That is kind of funny. I, I, I do like the joke where he, uh, you know, he keeps coming up with these lunatic ideas. Cut to, you know, go to the car chase, go to the live car chase. <laughs> and everyone's saying, that's not news. Go to, go to the car chase. Um, I like when he screams, more graphics. More graphics! More, more graphics! <laughs> there is one point in the movie where you know how CNN has like the little news ticker at the yeah, bottom. The little, the there are like there are like six news tickers across <laughs> right. it, across the bottom, both sides, right. across the top. Little tiny, tiny picture of some guy's face in the middle talking. <laughs> There's some funny stuff in that. Um, although, uh, you know, it is kind of an old idea. The, you know, the, it's it's they've really only updated. Uh, Ron Burgundy. You know, the, the first movie took place in I think it was seventy five, and so this one takes place in nineteen eighty. It's not. We haven't gone. We haven't made that much headway time wise in, in the Ron Burgundy story, um, and so the the cable new the, the idea that 
the the fish out of water here is not quite as funny as it could be. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not sure what you would have done. I'm not sure if if do, having him conquer the internet would have been that funny because Will Ferrell kind of already has actually conquered the internet. But do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't feel that fresh. Well, I actually liked the premise. I you personally, do. I, I like the premise. I thought the premise uh, was a great one in lots of ways because you are taking a guy who is pretty much a local local celebrity in San Diego in the first movie. And yeah. That, that's a different era where I do remember your local news guy was kind of a celebrity. Sure. You'd see oh, him at sure. the grocery store and you'd run up and ask for autographs from him. <laughs> <laughs> right. I remember this era where yeah. this, before the 24-hour news cycle, before we all had cable TV, yeah. it, that he really was a huge star. And yeah. so I kind of liked the idea of what happens when you take that guy who is a big fish in a small pond, put him in a big pond, and what happens there? I liked that idea. Okay. But I didn't think that the jokes were very funny. I thought no. that, what, yeah. you know, once once you got the one joke here and the one joke there, you don't need to, like, stretch it out for half an hour like a bad Saturday Night Live skit and just stretch it out and stretch it out and repeat it. Right. And I felt the movie did a lot of that where they were stretching a joke too far when it wasn't that funny in the first place. I kind of agree. Um, I, I And I think... I was I went a little bit back and forth because while I liked some of the media satire and then they're 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 especially poking fun of course at Fox News a lot there's a there's a guy uh, an, an Australian media mogul who's kind of a combination of Richard Branson which I didn't quite understand and a combination of maybe one of the Murdoch sons you know he, mm-hmm. so I didn't I wasn't quite clear on what that character was supposed to be but it seemed Fox Newsy to me and so some of that satire I thought was kind of funny like I said the graphics the car chase. Um, but it it takes time away from that foursome from the from from the main foursome who or who are so good at interacting with each other and just bouncing off each other. The great thing about the first Anchorman was just watching those guys just riff and just hang out and be idiots together, and you get a little bit less of that. A lot in less this of one. it, sadly. Yeah, right. A lot less of it, and you have this awful romance that when Steve Carell is on screen, he's almost always trying to woo Kristen Wiig. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. The yeah. Kristen Wiig scenes are awful, terrible. Just painful to Why watch. Why is that? Kristen Why Wiig is, is. We know Kristen Wiig is funny. Oh, Why are these scenes so bad? So awful. Yeah. No, she shouldn't be in this movie, and. You know, anytime Steve Carell's on camera, he should just be with his buddies. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I always found Steve Carell is not to be not quite the funniest one in that in that group. But anyway, I thought it was an okay date. You mm-hmm. not so great, and something that no, you brought not so up. Great. No, something you brought up earlier too. I just want to point out race. Oh yeah, yeah, right. You and I were on the takeaway, and, and I was talking about the race jokes. He there's a there's a subplot where uh, uh, Will Ferrell begins dating uh, Megan Good. Megan Good plays a, a CNN uh, executive, and they start dating, and she takes him back to her to meet her family, and so he does this kind of. He does the old routine, white guy trying to be black. And so he keeps saying all these kind of offensive things because he has this offensive, outdated stereotype in his mind of what black people say and do and think about. And I I understood why someone thought that might be funny. But for some reason, it wound up being really not funny to me. And the yeah. jokes sounded – it wasn't that they sounded mean-spirited necessarily. They just sounded really <laughs> – they sounded they, awkward, racist, and outdated. And to outdated. Me. They sounded really outdated. And I understand the movie takes place in 1980, 
but somehow but in it's 2000, 2013, it's 2013. And exactly. Yeah. And, and somehow I found myself feeling very uncomfortable during yeah. those scenes. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, so maybe I liked it slightly more than you did, given all that. I still thought it had some funny scenes in it, but you're saying not that not very good. Not I'm very saying good okay. Date. And all that right. makes me sad because I really like the first one. Yeah. So I wanted it to be a good date. Okay. So, uh, now we're going to talk about Her, the new Spike Jones movie. Every, whenever I say this, the, the title of that movie is such an odd title. People always say, what? Ben-Hur? Like, they just can't understand the word, but it's Her, H-E-R, like the pronoun. Um, and um, we're going to have a guest with us momentarily to help us talk about it. But this movie is about uh, a man named Theodore, played by Joaquin Phoenix. He falls in love with Samantha. She's a, a new woman in his life, played by Scarlett Johansson. But, of course, this is just the voice of Scarlett Johansson because Samantha is actually just the voice of an intelligent operating system known as OS-1. Here's a clip. How do you share your life with somebody? Well, we grew up together. I I used to read all of her writing all through her master's and Ph.D. She read every word I ever wrote. We were a big influence on each other. I still find myself having conversations with her in my mind. So is Samantha real? Is it correct to call her a her? Can a human truly love a computer and vice versa? With us today to help make sense of some of these questions is Gary Marcus, professor of psychology at New York University and a visiting cognitive scientist at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence in Seattle. Gary, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a great movie to talk about. Yeah. uh, Well, you seem like a good person to talk about uh, this movie. Um, Here is my first question to you. Briefly, if you can, what is artificial intelligence and what is the goal? What is the actual goal for artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence tries to build machines that are as smart as people or even smarter than people. Whether we've gotten there yet or not depends on what you count. So you could say we've built machines that can play chess. That's sort of something we used to associate with human intelligence and machines can do that pretty well. Right. But we don't have a machine that could be a guest on a talk show. Right, right. Um, and how, you know, one, one thing I've read about artificial intelligence are some of the various tests of how to test whether a machine is actually intelligent or whether it's just, you know, parroting functions. Um, tell me about the, the Turing test. The, the Turing test, which I think it's partly probably inspired the movie, is about having machines have conversations with people and people have conversation with people. And the idea is if you can't tell the difference, if I put you in a room and you're just text messaging with the machine as opposed to the person, can you tell which one is which? And it's a kind of classic test of artificial intelligence. I don't think it's a very good one. It's very popular, but it's very easy to fool people in a limited time scale. So if you have a minute to text back and forth, you could just have a bunch of memorized answers, kind of canned answers, and the machine might do pretty well. Right. And one of the things I remember as a kid was a a program called ELIZA, which was sort of a computer psychologist, a computer psychoanalyst who, you know, and you would type in questions to ELIZA. She would say, how are you feeling today? And you'd say, I'm sad. And ELIZA would say, why are you sad? But of course, if you, you know, if you said... Or or ELIZA would jump in and say, does that remind you of your mother? Right, exactly. (laughs) By having a set of canned lines like that, it gave the appearance of being intelligent. Right. But the thing about ELIZA is it was kind of Google-like in that it was looking at keywords mostly. So right. it would see something about family and then it'd say, ah, this is a good time to ask a question about your mother. But it's not like you could then ask Eliza questions like, what did I tell you about my mother? What impression do you have of my mother based on the things that I've told you, which you might be able to ask a real therapist who was paying attention. Right. Um, and so Eliza didn't really understand what was going on. It was just looking for keyword matches. Right. But 
But isn't looking at keyword matches and asking those follow-up questions, what's the difference between that and actual intelligence? Well, I mean, you could say that some people who aren't paying much attention to you might actually respond to you that way. So when I say, hi, how's it going? You say, you know, you're having a nice day and they follow up and nobody's really paying attention to what's going on. That's fine. And, you know, AI can approximate that level. But when you explain some really complicated dilemma that you're having and somebody tries to suggest a strategy for solving it and maybe if you do it this way, it's going to annoy your colleagues, but it's the most direct approach you could take and so forth. When you go through that level of analysis and so forth, machines aren't up to doing that yet. Those are things where you can't just respond with a keyword, where I can't just say, well, tell me about your mother, but I have to actually understand the details of the dilemma that you're facing right now. That requires a rich understanding of language, which we see in the movie where, where Scarlett Johansson's character can understand pretty much anything that, that the right. protagonist is talking to her about, but we don't have machines that are anywhere close to that, that level of understanding. Is that the goal eventually, to make machines like Scarlett Johansson, the operating system that loves you, that interacts with you, that has sex with you to do all of these things? Uh, well, there was no actual sex, only um, if I'm not giving anything away. or no. Um, but we can come back to that we'll point. Talk, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we we'll talk about that. We'll come back to the, to the sex part. But the rest of it, well, the goal depends on who's doing the AI. So there are lots of people involved in artificial intelligence. It was originally mostly a thing done in research labs, mostly at MIT and Stanford. And nowadays it's starting to be dominated by corporate players. So Facebook wants to build AI at least in part so they can better understand the pictures that you post so they can sell you better advertising. Yeah, I was going to say. This is artificial intelligence in the service of better sales. <laughs> Google wants to build robots, and we don't yet know why they want to build robots. So there are different applications ranging from systems that do our computation for us. And some people want to build machines that, say, can build your car for you or take care of your house and your dishes. And other people might want to build machines that, that are companions. There are lots of different um, functions for artificial intelligence. It's not like there's going to be one computer program to rule them all. There are going to be many different systems that ultimately get developed and, and work with one another. But Samantha has the ability to say things like when she hears something in your voice, she'll say, what's wrong? Or you seem distant. And she also has things like curiosity, um, some sense of free will. Uh, you know, they, ha they do have these relationships <laughs> discussions where she says, I thought we were talking about what I wanted. You know, and so she has all these kinds of responses. Um, what, you know, you uh, uh, as an artificial intelligence expert, what did, what did you make of that? How, how real, how not real did some of this strike you? Well, some of it's not that hard to do. So they already have these kind of AI customer service things where you talk on the phone to basically a robot. And they, they're already working on things where it will detect changes in your tone of voice. So uh -huh. if you get frustrated enough, they'll send you to a live human person rather yes. than lose you as a customer. And that's pretty slick. Wow. But the thing about Samantha that's most sort of surprising to an AI expert is that she has such a grasp of social cognition, of, of the nuance uh, of human interaction. That's something we really don't have machines doing yet. Because in order to do that, you need to actually understand people. You need to understand their motivations. Why do they do the things that they're doing? What are they after? Um, what are their sex drives? What, what, what are they trying to do for a living? What, are they happy? Are they sad? And she had both a keen sense of all of that, like, she had a high emotional intelligence would be a way of putting yes, it. Yes, right. And she also had a pretty good sense of you know what to say in those situations, which are actually two different things. So you can start with, as a human being, some people are better than others at picking up on what someone else wants 
And then, you know, the most sophisticated people not only know what they want, but know how to give them what they want. So you can think that she's almost like at Bill Clinton's level, being able to pick up, this is what you want. I'm going to tell, I'm going to feel your pain and I'm, you know, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to, you know, tell you that I feel your pain. Next thing I know, you're either going to be working for me or maybe doing something I can't say on air, right? Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, this whole artificial intelligence dream concept of having something like Samantha that really understands you, responds to you, and so on. Is that something that would be designed to help people, to bring them out of their shell, to help them become more emotionally sophisticated? Or is that something that people would just lean on and have as a crutch? Well, again, I think there are different applications. There are going to be different markets. Some of this is going to be driven commercially. So one of the big advances we're going to see in robotics over the next, I don't know, 5 to 15 years is we're going to see robots that help take care of the elderly. So this, yeah. A huge you know, demographic shift where we have more and more elderly people. We don't really have enough people to take care of them. Robots are getting more sophisticated. And people are, are working on robots that are household helpers in different ways. And some companies that work on that are going to work especially on the personality side of it to try to make those robots seem comfortable. Although there was an interesting study that recently came out saying – do you want your robots to look like people or machines? And it actually turns out it depends on the job. So if you're having um, a robot have maybe have a conversation with you, you might want it to look like a person. If you're having it bathe you, you might uh, actually want it to okay. seem more industrial. Uh-huh. Yeah. And That's so interesting. There's a lot of room for what um, is called human-robot interaction, which is sort of like the design of a user interface. So you think of Johnny Ive designing the iPod. There's like a sweet spot, which we have to yet discover, for how you're going to make these machines called comfortable companions. What's going to feel like it's too personal, not personal enough? Um, probably some of the machines will learn on the fly to you know, be a little bit more intimate with this person because they seem more comfortable and a little bit less intimate with that person. Just like you know, if you're at a re- restaurant and you can tell someone wants to share their meal with me or they kind of want to eat their own thing, right. you're going to want machines that are able to pick up on those cues. And I think that will happen eventually. It, we're, it's not really that much on the drawing board yet, but it's, it's something that people will work towards. So Spike Jones has said this movie is set in what he calls the slight future. And would you say... Five years, 10 years, 20 years, or never? Well, as an expert, I kind of saw like some five-year stuff and some 25-year stuff. I didn't see a lot of never. Really? Um, the five. The, <laughs> the robots are taking over. The, the five-year stuff is like they have um, a video game that's kind of projected 3D holograms, and, and that stuff is not that far away, five, 10 years. And the next thing is the level of natural language understanding that Samantha has is incredible. So she understands language just as well as you and I do. Yeah. And no machine is anywhere near that. And I think that's more like a 25 or 50 year job. And the same thing with the social stuff. I think it needs to be engineered. You need a lot of careful engineering to say, how do people do this and how can we build this into a machine? And will we have machines where people fall in love with them? Yeah, I think that will happen. It's just a matter of of time and programming and and people's comfort with them and and, and so forth. Time and programming. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, so, so let's, let's, you know, let's throw the philosophical question out there then. You know, what this film kind of gets at is, is this a real relationship or not? And, and what do you think? What do, what do we all think about that? Is this a real relationship? Well, you could think back to a different era where people, you know, fell in love over um, letters that were carried across the Atlantic with other people and then they meet them in real life and maybe it turns out to be a disappointment or maybe it turns out to be the person they thought that was on the other side of you know the, the correspondence. So I think 
there's no fact of the matter. Philosophers sometimes talk about questions where there's a fact of the matter or the, there isn't, and we just don't happen to know it. But I think this is a question about how you set up your definition. So what do you mean by to truly be in love with? Mm-hmm. You know, I could take a neurophysiological measure. I could look at your dopamine levels and your oxytocin levels, and I could say, well, look, this person is behaving in all aspects as, it, as if they're in love. You know, what, tell me the measure by which they're not in love with this person um, or with this um, – you know, if, if it's an email conversation or, or they're not in love with this artificial agent. Like I, th- I think you will get people that have that level of attachment. Look how sucked in people get into something like Second Life or World yeah. of Warcraft. And people do get immersed in these experiences. And, you know, that's the first prerequisite. The other is just making the programming plausible. So what breaks the illusion right now, if you talk to Eliza, is if you talk to her for five minutes, you start to realize she's not really paying attention. <laughs> if you met Eliza at a bar, so to speak, in the first minute, you'd be really excited. and you know, but, <laughs> but a week later, you'd be like, but she never pays attention to what I'm saying. This is really <laughs> right. not going to work. This is not long-term relationship material. So what do we all think of this movie? What, how, do, how do we like this? I loved it. I thought it was a really vivid imagining of the future. And although, you know, I can be fussy about, you know, they've com- combined 2023 with 2032. I mean, that's really just a, a technical um, fuss. I think they did a good job of real- realizing what a future might be and raising a lot of provocative questions. So I was thrilled with the movie. Oh, yeah. wow. Kristen? Well, I thought it was really interesting. And philosophically, I was fascinated with the premise of it. But I have to say that in the end, I thought the execution of things it went long. It felt very repetitive, and it didn't go all the places I thought it could go. Oh, that's interesting. Really? So, yeah. I thought it was. I think it's one of the best movies of the year. I wow. think. I think there is a there is a lull there, p- pacing wise. You're right. But um, this movie, I have not stopped thinking about it since I saw it weeks upon weeks ago, and I'm I'm just I'm obsessed with it. I think it's fascinating. I think it's like the most relevant film to come out in this year and probably in the last like 10 years. I think it's fantastic. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But All right. <laughs> first, thanks again so much, Gary, for coming in and talking with us thanks. today. It's, it's, it was just fascinating. Your insights are fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Wow. Gary's so smart. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I I have to say though, I am sad. We kind of we had to wrap up because uh, you know we only had so much time with him, but we never got to talk about the sex. Oh yeah, can we talk a little bit more about the sex? Let's talk about it. I, I think it's interesting that that Gary said they don't have sex, but I think that's a crucial thing in the film. There's a there's a a, a point in the film. Amy Adams again plays uh, Theodore's friend. She's an, an old old college friend. They used to date. They're just they're just friends now. She's very non-judgmental, very supporting in the film, and she says to him very bluntly uh, when he's kind of come out of the closet a little bit. She says, "Are you? Do you have sex?" And he says, which I think is a brilliant line, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> and, I, and I and it's very funny. And I mean, the question is, is that not sex? I mean, it's not the sex that I am having, but you know, but but there are plenty of people out in the world who are not having the kind of sex that I am having. There are, are a lot of ways to have sex. There certainly are. Yeah, um, and the kind of sex that he's having with Samantha would still be considered sex to you, I'm sure, if, let's say, your wife was doing that Ex- with somebody else. Exactly. Like, how exactly. Would you, how would you feel if your wife was doing that? It's like, that would be sex, right? Right. I, that, I, that's why I think this film feels so relevant to me. I think it has so much to say about um, non-traditional, by, by which I really mean non-straight 
types of sexuality, any, any, any kind of relationship, sexual, romantic, that falls outside of the kind of normative heterosexual relationship, this movie seems to really speak to that. And to me, it kind of opens up new frontiers in almost – I'm almost not sure how to phrase it, but I just really feel like the movie is saying a lot about kind of where our society is is heading these days. I think it's just really fascinating. Well, I think it raises fascinating questions, but I also think, as I was saying to Gary, I think it could have gone further. I think, yeah, I know. I, I think I would have liked her to actually – uh, be in the form of a hologram. I would have liked to visualize to have her create a visual version of herself somehow. I would have liked. Oh, but I think that would have. I think that would have undermined the whole point of the film if that had happened. And you remember there again, not to spoil too much, but there is a scene where. Oh, I know what you're talking. You know about. what I'm talking about. It's not quite a hologram exactly. Yes. But there is some. There is some kind of a. a you know, a, 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 some kind of visual substitute that they're that they're trying to come up with there. Um, Anyway, I don't know. I was, I'm surprised that you didn't think this film was as good as I did. You, I thought you, it was beautiful and I loved the premise, but it just felt repetitive and slow and yeah. and, and it could have been tightened up. I agree. There's a, there's a, there's a little lag there. Slow, repetitive lag. And, um, you and, say, and that's why I thought it should have gone further. If you're going to be a movie this long, take it to new different places rather huh. than just repeat yourself over and over again. And you said kind of okay date? Okay date. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I Don't say love it, but it's an okay date. Best best date of probably the last five years I can think of. Um, wow. Yeah, really. Wow. Uh, okay. Well, let's move on wow. to trivia. <laughs> yeah, let's move on to trivia. Um, I'll do last week's trivia. Uh, last week we were talking about Saving Mr. Banks, the film with uh, Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson. Uh, she played P.L. Travers who was the creator of uh, Mary Poppins, the book Mary Poppins, and, and the whole film was about the making of the movie Mary Poppins. We asked this question. In the Disney film uh, that is eventually made, what major character in that film does Mary Poppins never speak to? There's one character she never speaks to, and here is the answer. Hi, this is Ben and Megan from Silver Spring, Maryland, for the movie podcast trivia question. We're sitting here on Saturday morning, and... My wife is nine months pregnant, and we're just waiting for the baby to come out listening to your podcast. And we think that the answer to this week's question is the mom, Mrs. Banks, that Mary Poppins never talks to. Um, okay, well, we hope we're right, and I guess we'll find out next week. I love that answer. Oh, I love it so much. But I love it better that you're sitting around waiting for your child, who I'm sure is now born. Oh, we hope so. Right? By we now? Hope all is well. We hope the delivery went well. Congratulations. I'm sure it's named either Rafer or Kristen. <laughs> Uh, and please, please give us a call and let us know. Let us know how everything came out. Oh, congratulations to you so. both. Yes. Well, congratulations. <laughs> and that, that might be one of the best calls we've ever gotten. It really, it really is. It really is extraordinary. I'm glad it could be of some service. So, Kristen, what's this week's trivia? Well, this week, we, we want to honor the iconic mustaches out there in movie world. Yes. Now, we obviously have Ron Burgundy's iconic mustache. Christian Bale in the new movie American Hustle is almost unrecognizable with his facial hair. That's right. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, there's lots of facial hair happening this week. Joaquin Phoenix, too, I just realized. Oh, that's right. Oh, my gosh. It's a mustache hey, week. mustache Whoa. week. Yes. It's Mo December. Yes. <laughs> that did not sound good at all. No, you're it right. It doesn't roll off the top. Sorry. <laughs> but we want to know. Of all these great actors in the world who are known for their mustaches, like Clark Gable, for example, or Charlie Chaplin, right? we are going to play a clip of a famous mustache actor in a movie where he oddly does not have a mustache. We're going to play this clip. You tell us who that actor is and what that movie is. 
You couldn't possibly understand what this is like. Howard, I'm gay. You're what? I'm gay. I came out. To whom? Ooh, to everyone. My folks, my boss, my dog. You know, one day I just snapped. I just got tired of switching pronouns and remembering to lower my voice, and I couldn't take lying to the people that I love. Does that sound familiar? All right. If you know, give us a call, 5717-MOVIES. And as always, you can visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. 